So today, I want to say that I'm going to take a big risk, and I'm going to do it in front of you. Stephen Covey says that you should always begin with the end in mind. And so the end today is for all of us to ponder what kind of rest or how much rest do we need in order that we might be available to the insights and blessings that God has for us. That's the end in mind. What kind of rest and how much rest would it take for us to be available to the insights and blessings that God has for us. So the risk I'm going to take is this. As I started reflecting on and contemplating what the message might be today, I kept getting a very, very clear message from Spirit, which was, just trust me, Lily, and rest. Now, that did not go in for me very well. Because I have my rhythm of how I prepare for messages and how I get it all written out and how I live with it and work with it. And it seemed very clear, though, that perhaps one of the best things I could do would be to stand before you and just say, I'm going to rest here and trust, and we will see what we will see. So as we take this risk together, let us pray. Holy One, we're here in your presence and we already feel that you do lift us up and you lift us up to places we never thought we could be. And so God, as we rest now, we ask not only that your presence will remain, but that we will be more sensitive to it. And I ask this in your many names and in the name of Jesus, amen. Um, I was making my way to the airport in Dallas yesterday to come to Houston, and I was at a red light uh, sitting behind another car, and there was a bumper sticker, and it says, don't sleep while you drive. Seemed like good advice. <laughs> Seemed like good advice. The problem is, of course, many people do drop off to sleep when they drive. And it sort of made me realize that, that God was sort of gathering up messages for me all through the week and that I would just try to put them in some sort of order and share them with you. And it was funny to run into this bumper sticker, don't sleep while you drive. Because during the week as I was um, looking around on the internet about things that have to do with rest, one of the things I ran across were some t statistics about the level of sleep deprivation in this country where we live. The statistics are really staggering. I mean, did you know that children need to get somewhere between 12 and 15 hours of sleep every night? Did you know that teenagers need to get somewhere between 9 and 11 hours of sleep a night? I know my teenager doesn't get that much. And did you know that adults need to get somewhere between 7 and 9 hours of sleep a night? Now, let me ask how many of you get that much, adults? Yeah, that's why the statistics are so bad. Exactly. Do you know that in this country, 65% of Americans, based on the different surveys that have been done, 65% of Americans are sleep-deprived. We are not resting enough. Probably what is more staggering is to see the list of effects 
that come directly from that kind of sleep deprivation. And the list sounds like this. We are more and more laden with illness. We have record percentages of people who die with heart attacks. We are overweight. We are sort of in our brains not working at full capacity. We are distracted and as such we make small mistakes that become bigger ones. These are a, a really interesting bad list of effects from our lack of rest. So what really keeps burning with me this week is the question I want you to know first I have to ask myself. And I'll just invite you to eavesdrop on my question and if it works for you, you can do something with it. My question to myself is, what keeps me from rest? What's going on in my life that keeps me from rest? Because, you know, we would all say that we're reasonably intelligent people. And yet, we put up with that long list of not so very positive things that are the result of sleep deprivation and lack of rest, but we still keep doing it. Now, for reasonably intelligent people, why do we do that? Why do I do that? What is that about? What keeps us from rest? So some of my reflections on that, and again, I'll just invite you to eavesdrop on my reflections. One is that I believe we and I have a dependence on alarms to wake us up. Now, I am really not talking at this moment about being awakened physically. I'm not talking about the alarm clocks that you set to wake you up physically. I'm talking about the alarms that seem necessary to wake you and I up spiritually and emotionally. Why is it that it takes something that shakes us before we wake and go, Oh, gosh, I've been walking around in a stupor. I've been walking around unconscious. I've been walking around asleep. I show up, but I'm not really there. When I was 17 years old, I made a decision in my life that I would never again set an alarm clock to wake me up in the morning. Now, the reason for that is because as long in my life as I had been setting alarms in the morning to get up, because that's what I was taught to do, what I was experiencing when the alarm would go off was that my body would go into absolute distress. My heart would beat really fast. I couldn't catch my breath. I had to lay back down just to get myself back together, not to snooze. There's no snooze button for me. There's just a uh, trying to calm down because the alarm would send me into such distress. I think what I'm trying to say to you is this. When I made that decision, so at 17 and now I'm 55, with few exceptions, I've not set an alarm because it's too distressing. And yet, when it comes to being awakened emotionally and spiritually, I have to confess that I have depended on a string of alarms in my life to wake me up and say, Lily, Lily, you are distressed. But you know what? I would like to get to a place in my life where I don't need to have an illness or have someone that I lose in my life, or have a relationship fall apart, or somehow lose everything that's important to me. I don't want those kinds of alarms to have to wake me up and say, Lily, be here. 
Be present and see what it is that you need to see and know what it is that you need to know, even if it's a little bit painful and distressing. So I think perhaps there are people just like me who have a dependence on the alarms in life. And remember this, if you do depend on an alarm in life to wake you up emotionally and spiritually, it means that over the span of your life, you will consistently create alarming situations so that you can wake up. It seems to me that perhaps a better way would be to listen to Scripture and listen to Jesus say, before everyone's healed, before everyone's fed, before everyone's been granted forgiveness, I still have to say, wait a minute, I'm going to go and rest. I think another thing for me is the seductiveness of busyness. Being seduced by busyness. Now, if you think about it, when we greet one another, we often say, how are you doing? Or like Medea, how you doing? <laughs> and a very common response is, oh, I'm good, but I am so busy. Oh my gosh, my plate is so full. I can't believe how busy I am. That's a common response. And it's a common response because, first of all, we are pretty busy people. But second of all, because in our culture, we are rewarded and reinforced and patted on the back because of our busyness. And so we have lots of good reasons to say being busy is a good thing. Unfortunately, it has so seduced us that we wear busyness like a badge of honor. I know I do. The problem is, I can say I'm busy. I didn't say I was always productive. So I have to stop and say, now, are you just being busy? And what really needs to happen, Lily, is you need to take a little time out over here so that when you come back, you can be productive. So we are seduced like a good lover to come and be busy. We are seduced by it because someone will pat us on the back and say, good for you. Or somebody will give us a bonus check and say, well, you are the one who are here all the time. It is countercultural to rest. And yet the busyness seems to be one of the things that keeps us asleep and numb. Because if we really stop to feel how exhausted we are from our busyness, I trust we'd have to stop. Another thing is, our interesting um, response to and how we re resist being available to hear spirit. I have some sacred texts that I've been using uh, to help me with this whole issue of rest, and I've, especially this year, it's been a lot like that for me trying to work on that. And uh, one of them is a book called The War of Art, Winning the Inner Creative Battle. That's the name of the book. And Stephen Pressfield in this book says, you know, we resist hearing what God or spirit might have to say. And it manifests itself in lots of different ways, but we resist it because we're actually afraid to hear it. We're not really sure what we would do if spirit were to be able to get a hold of us. 
and to get our attention. And so we manifest this in lots of different ways. I mean, sometimes it's in our fear, sometimes it's in our anxiety. I'll tell you one of the things I do is that when I get anxious or I get real strung out, I will have a list of soothers that help calm me down. Now, again, I didn't say they are things that are good for me. So I eat or I shop. I know I'm not alone in that. Or here's one that may just be particular to me. I will call up a good friend and I will process myself to death. Because you know what? That way, I'm just all up in my head processing something and I don't have to stop and feel what I'm feeling or know what I'm knowing. I can just, you know, yammer away. It's a soother, but it calms the anxiety. But see, I'm so invested in doing something about the anxiety that I am not able to hear spirit. Stephen Pressfield talks about the spirit as the muse. So imagine the muse sort of right here on your shoulder. All the while speaking, all the while sending messages, and I am so preoccupied or so anxious or so busy or so numb that I can't hear what is mine to hear or know what is mine to know. The muse is there. Think about it like this. When the great composer Beethoven wrote the Fifth Symphony, was the Fifth Symphony in Beethoven or was the muse out here having available the Fifth Symphony and Beethoven was just able to hear it? Who knows, but that hundreds of other people the muse had tried to sing to or give the message to or offer a note to, but those hundreds of people weren't able to hear until Beethoven. See, the muse needs a body. The muse needs humanity to do its work in the world. So are we able to hear the muse? And can we stop resisting hearing God speak. Well, I also think that, you know, we get really wrapped up in such a way that we're not able to set aside time, just the gift of time to rest. And we will let everyone else tell us what our schedules will be. Amen? We will let every other entity suggest what our schedules need to be. Now, I'm not saying that you don't have certain schedules to keep. So please don't go out of here and quote me on that. Okay, That's, that is not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that often, though, when someone else gets so in charge of our schedules, something is out of balance because we still have a say-so somewhere in our life. The question is whether or not you and I are willing to step into this whole rhythm of knowing that we need to rest. Knowing that taking time apart aside will help us to become more clear. And as we are more clear, then we actually offer more to our work, to our relationships, and to our own well-being. I hope we can have that kind of rest. There's one last thing. 
and I've hesitated all week about whether I should talk about it. It's the truth, but I'm going to go ahead and do it, okay? It's the issue of us living in other people's houses. Now, this is what that looks like for me. When I am exhausted and tired, then I have really low energy. And I don't stand up in my own skin. I don't realize my own strength. And I will operate on very low octane energy. And when I really need to have a good surge, I'll take the plug that is my life, and I will sometimes go to somebody else's house and plug right into their outlet <laughs> so that I get a good surge of energy out of their outlet. Well, after I've sucked some energy out of their house, guess what? They have to go to somebody else's house and plug up and suck them dry, and then they have to come over here and plug into your house and suck you dry, and the next thing you know, we have a circuitous relationship of trading bad energy. Low-octane energy. It's a very difficult boundary to keep because I would like to believe that most of the time we don't mean to do it. But the real problem is that that energy needs to come from a source that is high octane. And unless we can set aside time to be in touch with the spirit, the muse, then we are getting energy from places that will continue to be low octane. And then we collude with each other to do it. We do. We make sort of quiet, tacit agreements that we'll trade bad energy. And when people walk into this church, do you think they know that? Mm -hmm. So this has to be a place where we value rest enough. We value the muse and the spirit enough that we come here, we do our work during the week, we do our rest so that the energy is high octane and it's coming from the proper source. Let's live in our own houses. I'll tell you, if you hear a bunch of preachers get together and they think nobody's listening, we will giggle about the fact that when we greet people when they're leaving church on Sunday, that there'll always be one or two where when you see them coming, you hear the great sucking noise. because they seem to have no reservations whatsoever to just plug up right here and go <laughs> So, the problem is there's some where that is obvious to us. What seems to be less obvious to us is that we all do it. So I will invite you I'll invite myself again and again to remember the source of high-octane energy. I want to close with a quick story. This year, the very first of the year, January, February, March, I was on sabbatical. And the first several weeks of my sabbatical, I went to North Carolina in the mountains, pretty isolated. I didn't have any TV or Internet. 
just me and my dog Bailey, we went to North Carolina for three weeks. Now, a lot of people think that sounds like fun to go away by yourself in isolation for three weeks. That didn't sound like fun to me. It just seemed like work I needed to do, but it didn't sound like much fun. Toward the end of my time, so the, toward the end of the three weeks, uh, someone had told me about a little restaurant in this little town close to where I was. It wasn't too close, but kind of close. Marion, North Carolina. And it was a little place called the Low Country. Now, I, I didn't know there was a whole culture called the Low Country in the Carolinas. I thought I was from the Low Country because I'm from lower Alabama. Uh, so, but I, so I didn't know about this, so it was interesting. And they have a whole uh, cuisine and, and so forth. So I went to this little restaurant upon recommendation from a friend. And um, I had called ahead because uh, toward the end of my sabbaticals when the football playoffs were happening in the NFL. And I'm a, uh, a Green Bay Packer fan, and so the Packers were in the... Uh, I'm sorry, but it's true. Uh, <laughs> um, we're in the playoffs, and so I'd called the Low Country and said, "Will you all be showing on your television um, the playoffs tonight?" And I'd already talked with the guy on the phone a little bit. He said, "Well, Lily, if you'll come tonight and have dinner, we'll show the playoffs." So um, I make my way to the restaurant that night, and the restaurant was full. So I went to sit at the bar, and when I got there, there were um, three good old boys from North Carolina sitting at the bar, and me. And we were watching the game, and in about 15 minutes, there were seven good old boys from North Carolina and me. I was holding my own pretty good with the football thing, and we were having fun, and I was uh, eating my dinner and enjoying that. And afterwards, when I finished my dinner, uh, the woman who was waiting on us, her name was Sandy, and the guys around the bar started to say, you've got to have the banana pudding. Well, I'm not a big dessert eater, actually, and if I did eat dessert, it probably wouldn't be banana pudding. That wouldn't be my top ten list. So I kind of said, you know, I'm full, thanks, but I'm, I'm just not going to have anything. And so they just kept after me and after me about this banana pudding. You've never tasted anything like it. So finally I just relented. It was like, okay, get me some banana pudding. Well, Sandy, who I found out later actually makes the banana pudding, tools off to the kitchen to get my banana pudding. And while she's gone, a man sitting one person over from me at the bar leans over and says, about that banana pudding. The first time I had one, I had two. The first time I had her banana pudding, I had two of those banana puddings. Well, I almost fell off my chair. I thought that was one of the funniest things I'd ever heard. The first time I had one, I had two. Well, I started to leave that night, and Sandy came up to me as I was going out the door and gave me a little bag. And she said, don't open this till you get back to your cabin. When I got back to the cabin, I opened it, and there were four containers of banana pudding. <laughs> so the moral of the story is, the first time I had one, I had four. <laughs> so this week... I hope you will seriously contemplate rest and being awake and being present to the muse. And I hope you'll remember that one day at your desk, when you take time and you take one breath, that you'll be excited to have a second one. I hope and pray that when you set aside time and you speak someone's name before God in prayer one time, that you'll be exhilarated to know 
that the second time will be even greater blessing. I hope that if you decide this week to take a nap, even a few minutes, that doing it once will cause you to rush quickly to do it a second time. And my deepest prayer is that if you hear the voice of God once, that you will rush quickly to hear the voice of God again. Because God, the muse, is there, simply waiting on us to hear. Jesus didn't wait till everything was done before he left and went to a place that was quiet to rest. May it be so for you and me. Amen.